Welcome to Design Your Life, the podcast where we explore the central role design plays in our everyday lives and how, if harnessed correctly, has the power to positively transform the way that we live, design better businesses and sustainable solutions for the planet. We speak to creative entrepreneurs around the world about how they inspire their ideas to life and how they make it all work and the role design plays in their lives. I'm your host, founder of Frost Collective and author of Design Your Life, Vince Frost. Welcome to today's episode of Design Your Life. Today I catch up with the phenomenal Emilia Terragni, associate publisher at the critically acclaimed Fight and Press. Tune in as we chat about her early life, starting out in the idyllic city of Como, the incredible attention to detail and vision that goes into publishing a great book, and what it felt like being named the queen of cookbooks by the Wall Street Journal. So, Amelia, we're here we are in Soho Radio in Soho in London, and it's so good to see you. Very nice to see you, and thank you for having me. Oh, welcome to Design Your Life. Um, and you're good? Very good. Nice, really, really good. Nice, beautiful, blued sky day today. Um, I'm just talking about when we met. We met quite some time ago uh, when I was living and working in London and at the Frost Collective, uh, Frost Design, actually, at the time. Um, and I remember working on a few books with you guys, uh, specifically Nan Golden's book, The Devil, Amazing Book, The Devil's Playground. A fantastic book. It was an amazing book, wasn't it? Like Especially at the time, was a book. Uh, Nan Golden uh, was uh, really at the peak of her career. Was the moment in which she was doing fantastic photography, and the book is really a fantastic monograph uh, yeah. about her life. It was so interesting working with her too, and uh, Victoria Clark was managing the project. Exactly. And that seemed to go on for like, it felt like a year, but it was, um, she'd obviously fly over from the States and, and, and be at our studio in Clerkenwell, uh, and um, she was in the hotel a lot. I remember that, <laughs> trying to get hold of her. She was spending a lot of time in London, and her team was here, and she was really, really dedicated to the book. It was something that was yeah. really close to her heart, and so it was uh, a fantastic, sometimes painful process, yeah. uh, but the result is so worth it. It really is. We'll talk more about books in a minute, um, because books, we love books. You love books. You've been I at Fiden for a long time. I absolutely love books. Yeah, and it's just so cool to see... You know, um, just talking about a book we've just done recently um, with uh, Andrew Quilty uh, back in Australia. And just the, the love of books hasn't diminished. Absolutely you know? not. There was a fear at one point that books and print was going to disappear. There's you know, always been, but I think uh, that they've changed. Uh, in some cases, they are much better. Yeah. And uh, the, the fact that there is uh, a digital world around us uh, actually pushed us to do book in a better way. Yeah. Absolutely, and you're doing a phenomenal job at that. You're the associate publisher at Fiden. As I said, you've been there for 22 years, since yes. 2001, which is a hell of a long time, and it really shows staying power. Um, the world's leading publishing house in the space of art, design, and culture. And you've published an array of absolutely incredible books uh, and, uh, and multiple topics, which we can discuss later as well. Um, do you remember the first time you fell in love with a, a book? Yes, I mean, I grew up in a family where books were incredibly important. Uh, and uh, I remember that uh, uh, for my birthday or for any occasion, my parents or friends uh, 
they always uh, gave me books. So my house was absolutely full of books. We were discussing books in a family. And, uh, and I remember that I was probably 13 that uh, a friend of the family gave, him, gave me um, Hermann S. Siddhartha. That was, for me, the confirmation, in my opinion, that I was an adult. Mm. So it was really discovering that uh, someone that was an adult considered me an adult That's to cool. give me a book uh, that was not a children's book anymore. And, uh, and that was, for me, clicking. And from there, the books accompany my life. I am quite a solitary person, so I love books for that. I like to immerse myself in books. Yeah. I love to go back to books. That illustrated books, reading books, uh, fiction, nonfiction, anything. Do you have quite a collection of books? I do, I do. I have uh, actually a very small apartment, and now I have uh, practically a warehouse where I put <laughs> the book. And I, I do I do exchange. I do like a change of season yeah. of books. Uh, so, uh -huh. But I also do it in a way in which I list uh, all the books that I put in storage on uh, Excel. <laughs> oh, really? Wow. <laughs> You're a professional. I wouldn't so, expect anything less. So I know what I have. Uh, and, um, and then uh, because I wanted to see new books on my shelves, uh, I do, I do rotate them. Wow, that is cool. And you're from Como. Yes, Lake, Lake Como, Como in Italy. Yes. Which I've never met anyone who's from there. I met many people who go there for holidays. Are we you, are not many. Were you born and raised there? Born and raised there. Wow. What was that like? Um, I ran away when I was 19. Okay. And I went to study in Venice. Um, I, uh, it's a very small city that has uh, the fortune and uh, possibly also one of the problem to be very, very close to Milan. So it's like a 40 minutes train. Oh, wow. So you commute from there. You can commute for that. Uh, a lot of people live in Como and work in Milan, but somehow um, the city became and stayed very provincial. So it's a very small city, but it's really, really pretty. Mm. So everybody knows everybody. George so. Clooney there? Yeah, actually, George Clooney is in the same village where we are, yeah. Laglio. Never seen him. Oh, um, you haven't? No, I haven't. I imagine but, all the women swooning over him <laughs> yes. at coffee bars and stuff. Possibly. Not me. Yeah. Uh, I, would, I wish. Um, <laughs> but, um, no, but uh, the, the George Clooney effect, uh, it's quite extraordinary because uh, um, Como has always been uh, uh, an area where there was a local tourism. And since he is there, there is this incredible international tourism wow. that we, we haven't... We we were not expecting. And even in terms of uh, facilities, uh, uh, there were a couple of very good hotels, and that was it. And now there are good hotels, good wow. restaurants, uh, so it's, it's completely changed. Good bookshops? Yes, there are. There are a few bookshops, and there are still a few independent, uh, so it's, uh, it's pretty. Do you, do you manipulate them and get Fiden Books prime position in the window? <laughs> that was how I grew up at Fiden. Oh, it was, was it? One of the thing, yeah, it was one of the things which we were going ah. to shops and then always put the, the one who wore on the shelves on the table or face out. 
Yeah. I don't do it. Anymore. It makes all the difference. It makes a huge difference. Yeah. Or I I do I still when I'm in a bookshop and I see someone looking at, my, at one of my book, I do I do ask some questions. Do you? I say, are you enjoying it? Yeah, are you going to buy it? Are going to buy? It's a beautiful book. Oh, do you make do you tell them that you yeah. produced it? Yeah, okay, no, right. it just seems that I'm stalking them. <laughs> but that's just research, right? That's just uh, it's totally research. research. It's totally research because uh, people, especially if they are book lover, they will tell you, "Oh, it's really good," or mm. uh, "I was attracted by the cover," or yeah. sometimes they say the type is too small, or yeah. whatever. You mentioned you studied art uh, history in Venice. Yes. Was that a big move? I don't know. It's only like how far away from. Uh, it was a was big it? move because big city, uh, because uh, I really decided that I was going there uh, for the first time. I was uh, not living at home. I was living with other students. Uh, it was my first time uh, without my family, even if I had a family who was very um, progressive. And so we, we always had our own life. Uh, but mm. uh, it was the first time in which I decided that I was on, on my own and I want to make them the most out of it. Yeah, amazing. And, uh, it was great. And Venice was, again, uh, we are talking about many, many years ago, it was not as touristy as it is now. There yeah. were some seasons in which there were a lot of people, but most of the month it was only the locals. And uh, he has this incredible, wow. melancholic... Uh, and beautiful uh, landscape and strolling in, in the streets and, and even when there were a lot of tourists they were always going through the same path mm -hmm. so you could always have uh, your your life and um and i mean it was a time there was no mobile phone or whatever so you have these things in which you will go and meet people because everybody was out yeah and uh, a lot of bars uh, a lot Amazing. of uh, was the architectural biennale on yes. at that moment? Because I, 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 we went to that. We, we did the branding for the Australian embassy uh, for that, 2008, and that was just an incredible experience. Yeah, that was the very interesting thing because the biennale was bringing all this incredible international culture yeah. that the rest of the year was actually very, very quiet. Wow. So there was a lot of uh, incredible exhibition about Venetian paintings or so it was quite local it was not really as international as it is now mm -hmm. but that for me was the beauty but it was also a trap I remember I really remember when uh, um, one day there was really a film that I wanted to 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 see and I'd look on the paper and they were showing it only in Mestre which is on the other side of the of the bridge where we call it terra ferma and I was like, no, that's like, I can't, I can't. Oh, my God. And then I, and then I was like, it's 20-minute bus. So if you are in Milan and you want to go to see a film, that's what you do. Yeah. So somehow you were trapped in this idea that everything that was on the other side of the bridge was an asshole. And then, wow. and then it was time to go. Wow, and look at you now. Like, how how did you? What happened after? You know, what what were you gonna? What were you intending to do with uh, that I degree? I wanted to work in uh, contemporary art, so I did. Uh, I did uh, um, 
a PhD in art, uh, then I did a school for curators uh, uh, in a contemporary museum in Italy, and so the idea was uh, to become a curator or art critic, uh, and uh, I work in an art gallery in Milan, uh, so that was my path, and then, okay. as usual, something happened and you start doing something else. Yeah. I, I mean, my, my family comes, they are all architects, so architect, architectural uh -huh. design has always been in my background. Yeah. And then I was, uh, I started to work, uh, for some strange reason, in uh, architecture archives. So I work for the university in Venice, uh, and then uh, I was, uh, called uh, to work in Basel at Vitra ah. because they just bought the archive of Luis Barragan, the Mexican architect, and they needed someone to do a book oh, and a show. Nice so, job. So I moved there. Wow. Okay. And then how long were you there for? Five years. And... Um, Vitra is an extraordinary company. Mm. Uh, it's a design company. They have a design museum. They have tons of cultural activity. And you just breathe design and architecture on daily basis. So I really learned even more about design when I was there, even if I was working on a specific project. There is this kind of Eames culture. Yeah in the air yeah. so and then all the most incredible uh, designer uh, works there so there i met uh, the burolek brothers uh, jasper morrison and uh, citerio and all these amazing designers wow so that i learned a lot incredible yeah it was and then how did you what happened after that how do you end up at, at fiden was that through <laughs> it the end, at basel it was because uh, we were doing a show about luis barragan yeah and uh, um, we were looking for a publisher. And uh, through René Burri, the Swiss photographer, who did a lot of photographs about Baragan architecture, he introduced us uh, to Fidon, uh, that was uh, his publisher. And uh, we, we discussed the possibility of uh, uh, publishing the book with them. And it didn't work out. We went with someone else. And then uh, the following year, I met again the publisher, and uh, he told me that he wanted to start to publish book on design and if I were interested. Mm. And so he offered me a job in London, wow. and I moved. Wow. And that was 2001? 2001. When I was at, um, I remember... Alan Fletcher, who was one of the founding partners of Pentagram, yeah. uh, was he, he'd retired from Pentagram and took on the gig as the creative director. Was it creative director or art yes, director? Yes, yeah, I think it was art director or creative director. Which is a wonderful job, so perfect for him, because he obviously at the same time was getting his own books of published course. by you guys. But he, he had, I guess, view over all of the books? That yes, he the had the view of all the book. He was coming um, every Wednesday afternoon. And uh, he was uh, helping in choosing designers. He was helping in shaping the cover. He was looking at all the pages. Uh, it was uh, He was amazing. He was yeah. an incredible 
the his eyes on uh, design and uh, the power of graphic design yeah uh, for me i learned it from him yeah besides his book and i think is one of the masterpiece the art of looking sideways yeah, beautiful book it's just insane but it's a book that uh, after about 25 years probably it's still a book that you can go back and look yeah. at it and learn and be inspired. Still selling well? It's actually, unfortunately, I think that at the moment it's out of print, but oh, it's it? sold a lot. And what about the other that he's saying before, his, his final book, because he died in 2000 and The uh, final book was called six. Picturing and Poeting. Mm -hmm. um, and he never saw it? He never printed. saw it. We, we did uh, the last uh, year instead of him coming to Fidon, I was going to see him uh, and to work on the book. And uh, he changed everything still the last minute. I remember that he asked me to do something at the last, 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 last minute, just before going to print. And we did it. But unfortunately, he couldn't, he couldn't see it. But Hang on, do you begrudge that last minute? <laughs> was it a... Was it a was he a pain to work with? Was he changing things all the time? He I mean, was, he's a but at the end, uh, it was not because he could. Uh, he really believed that it made a difference. Yeah. And it actually did. And I remember that um, I, lear I learned to know him very well when we started to work on this book that was called uh, 999 Design yeah. Classics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like a three-volume book of uh, uh, product design that are classic. So, and it has this striking yellow cover with uh, the numbers uh, on, uh, on the big type. And uh, practically the concept that he had, because there are all these uh, uh, objects and some is spread, two spread, three spread, but it can be really boring because you do, you have like, 300 words of text and then an image or two images yeah. and then you have the repetitive. caption very repetitive so he he said okay let's make it even more repetitive and he decided to use only one font yeah. but in all the possible variation so it could be bold uh, uh, regular, big, small, italics, uh, whatever. So it's it's extraordinary because uh, you see that each page is a work of art. And I remember that uh, uh, there was a young, poor graphic designer who was laid out, laying out the book. So mm. I will give him the material. He was laying out the book. We were going to Alan. And Alan was opening the file quark files at the time yeah and it was quark like it was like oh my god what a disaster what a disaster how oh can you do this page oh this is terrible oh my god. and then it was exactly with the same elements it was like a little bit smaller left go a little bit higher down eh, stop perfect yeah and it was it was absolutely perfect so he has the capacity with exactly the same elements to transform a page that was okay, it was not terrible. Yeah, yeah, if yeah. he said it was terrible. In Your talent is always dramatic. Perfect. <laughs> Absolutely perfect. Yeah. So, and I learned a lot. I learned uh, the, um, the power of the details yeah. and the power of graphic design. And the big idea. And the big idea applied 
on every single page. I remember when I was at first at Pentagram, John Rushworth, I interviewed, who's a, who's a partner there who I used to work for when I started out. Um, I remember going to Pentagram in, I don't know when it was, 87, I think it was. I remember watching Alan lay out a poster on the floor. It was before computers and moving type around and photocopying the type up and down in size and moving around. I was just mesmerized going, I don't understand what you're doing. And then eventually it clicked. Yeah, absolutely. And that click, you go, holy shit. It makes sense now. Like it makes, it. that's how it had, that's, that's where it's meant to end up. Yeah, and he but has a vision. Process, I think yeah. that he has really the vision about it. Even yeah. if he didn't know, uh, every time he was designing a page, he knew he knew what could work and what did not work. Yeah, and it was a privilege because, of course, at that time he was not doing many books at that level of details. No. So having the possibility of working so closely to yeah. him. And then, of course, it was uh, the conversation was always about because he knew he was very much has a lot of knowledge in terms of design also in product design. So it was this afternoon talking about design, talking about graphic design. There was always a glass of wine at yeah, the end, yeah. and uh, his wife, who was Italian, oh. was always coming in, and so it was kind of uh, a perfect. Uh, afternoon in which I think I learned so much. That's amazing. And Sonia Dyakova took over after him? After him. After him. We she used had, to work for me in, in the London studio. Yeah, we uh, had Yulia uh, uh, Hastings, yeah. who is still our uh, creative director. Yeah, she's been there a long time. She she arrived before, when I arrived, she was already there, but she was in New York. She, has a, she was for a brief time in London, then she's when incredible. they opened, yeah, she's amazing. She's absolutely incredible. fantastic. She is, uh, like she's every so book talented. that she's done is just different. Like it's, you don't get, re she's not repetitive in any way. At all. And uh, so now, now she's, then she went to New York, then she came back, uh, and now she's in, uh, she, she's in Zurich, uh, but she's our uh, creative director, and she, she does exactly what, what um, Alan used to do, looking after all our books from a so graphic. So you've worked with, you know, so many, I guess, creative people, writers, photographers, illustrators, designers. That must be incredible experience. That is what I like about peop about books, people. So I love to work with people, yeah. and um, we do. We have books uh, that are more um, author-led and books that are more Fidon-led, but there is always a team, and um, I am very much of a team worker. And um, but I also love uh, the the single author and really working with either architect designers. Uh, there is there is always a lot to learn. Uh, sometimes it can be challenging, but um, much prefer to work with a very interesting, difficult person that a very easy. Oh, you like one. difficult people? I do. Wow. We should, I mean, work, I we should do, work more often. <laughs> I do if it's worth it. I think that um, difficult people is not for the sake of being difficult. No, 
passionate so, about passionate exactly do, or yeah. uh, attention to details or really caring about things or being stubborn but because they really think that what it's needed it's really needed yeah it there's uh how do you know when that's right like how do you know when to be more directing more than delivering i don't i don't think there is uh, um there is a rule or it's just intuition so um i know when i should let go i know when i have to stand on my feet i, I it's just uh, it's just experience is intuition and uh, it's also recognized when someone else is right and you're wrong not always <laughs> <laughs> well it's interesting when you start with a book so I've, I've just done a few recently which has been it's always it's always such a pleasure and just you have the information mostly you have like a pile of images images or you know files of words and you've got to think about how does that become a book like format uh flow yeah layout headings you know the story how do you unpack the story to do it justice find personality not like i guess in my job as a designer is not to be the one that people look at but it's the content that you look at and that's a really it's a really exciting it's almost like creating a brand isn't it yeah it's i think that that's the the the, the concept stage of the book for me is the most interesting uh, interesting part of the job because uh, we do not a lot of publishers they have their own uh, uh, internal graphic designer and they work yeah. with the same people we yeah. work in a slightly different way we do a commission book uh, to designer in relation to the content of the book so uh, if it's a book that has a lot of images uh, we like a designer who has uh, a good eye and is a good uh, uh, photo editor if it's a book that is more of a reading book we like someone who is very good typographer and uh, and then you know it's always something that you want something more contemporary more classic so mm. I, I think that the important thing is to have a vision even if you don't know exactly how it is and most of the time i have to say that uh, i am much more i'm happier and more satisfied when a graphic designer come back with something that i'm not expecting yeah something that i was not thinking about something yeah. that is really i say wow that is exactly how you should d deliver the vision mm. and that's why we tend to be not too prescriptive uh, and i think that the more prescriptive you are the more of course you get something that you were expecting yeah and uh, you cannot do it for everything but there was there is a moment in which you get something back and you think wow that's it it's such a commitment producing and making a book isn't it and i think that i know when i've done my own books uh, in the past i have a meltdown mostly uh, <laughs> i get excited by it and and i get take it seriously when there's a deadline but then there is this kind of point where you go holy shit is this good enough how, how do you ensure that it's good enough to be printed because once it's printed that thing lasts forever that's it and I think that this is also uh, going back also at uh, uh, why books are more important than than the digital one. 
uh, for me it's also what makes uh, the work behind it more deeper and uh, you know if you if you write an, art, an article on uh, a website or whatever um, there is less commitment in fact checking mm. in uh, proofreading in having the perfect uh, narrative in the images a book is forever yeah once it's printed it's printed yeah and um, and I think that the discipline behind it really brings up a good product. But it's true, uh, one is done is done. You cannot uh, unravel it. So sometimes it's scary. I don't, uh, I rarely look at my books. I, I receive them, um, what we call it, inspection copies um, from the printer before we ship them, just to make sure that everything, that's the moment in which you are really scared and because things can really go wrong oh geez and has it oh yeah <laughs> wow what's yeah. the worst thing that's happened <laughs> oh god you gotta tell me this um i can't tell you which book no no but didn't. it was uh, a book in which uh, there was a typo on the cover oh spelled fighting wrong no another word the title uh part of the title and did that go into distribution or did this? Uh, no, we 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 found it before and we found a way of fixing it. A sticker. <laughs> wow. The famous sticker. How many copies was that? A lot. Okay. A lot. You can't be specific. I can't. That's amazing. I mean, that, that's something which obviously you studied um, art history. And it sounds like, you know, you were moving towards curating exhibitions, etc. And a vitra kind of creating curating kind of exhibitions and collections etc i mean this is the act of making a book is is fundamentally about curating isn't yeah. it making decisions as a part especially as a publisher yeah um that's exactly what we do we we put together authors images uh, concept ideas but um especially there's a lot of books that are really creating by us uh, as a concept. Mm -hmm. um, for example, we did this series of books that are Atlas of Architecture. Yeah. That is, you think it's a very simple idea, but nobody thought it Huge before. Um, and it was a little bit this idea like, uh, yeah, you have to do an exhibition about contemporary architecture. How do you organize it? And the same was for, for the Atlas. We wanted to do a survey of contemporary architecture, how do you organize? You can organize alphabetically, you can organize chronologically, you can organize by yeah. material. And then there was this idea, actually architecture is one of the things that is really linked to and rooted in, in, in a place. So geography okay. is actually the way yeah. of showing it. And also because you could see that certain in certain region there is a certain kind of architecture so it was a very interesting way and and so this was exactly how you would do with an exhibition it was like creating a concept to mm. organize material mm. mammoth book mammoth book books any spelling mistakes on those no. um a huge audience too because architects huge audience. love 
Buying was, books and architecture. It was also very interesting because I think it was one of the first books that went beyond uh, the architecture audience. It became a book uh, uh, for uh, a larger audience who were yeah. interested in creativity, in architecture, in uh, visuals, uh, arts, uh, and so on. It was also kind of a statement book. Uh, it was the, um, the sites of the Times Atlas. Uh, uh, he had maps. Uh, it was very colorful. Yeah, beautiful. How, how do you know, how do you know when a book deserves to be a book? You know, how do you know when the subject matter and the content is something that's going to resonate with an audience? Cause, and how many books do you go, you conceive the idea versus someone coming to you with I would say that probably I go out a lot uh, and uh, proposing books and looking for books. Uh, that could also be like a monograph or um, a book on a brand. Uh, so very often I am the one that initiated it. Uh, it's probably 70-30, meaning that 70% are books that I am proactively, proactively yeah. create. And then there's also... You know, when you start to work with an author, then it's I really like to continue so to have a, a long relationship with an author. So what is it that you see? Is it something that's in the zeitgeist? Is there something in the market? It is. The, the interesting thing about it is that, uh, you know, you always they always say, oh, you're very trendy. You follow the trend. I remember there was a book. Uh, uh, we do this series of uh, um, recipes book that we call national bible that are books about national cuisine and uh, we did a book on peru and it came out really in the moment in which uh, peruvian cuisine was really starting to and everybody was like oh yeah so trendy i was like well, trend. you didn't know I didn't know. I mean, I started two years before, so uh, three years before, probably. Yeah. So there is also these things. It takes a long time yeah. to make a book. So we are talking about a minimum of two years uh, and more. Yeah. So trying always to follow a trend can be very dangerous yeah. because in the moment the books come out, the trend is already old story. Yeah. So it's more, and also because for us, uh, we keep the book in printing for a long time. So our our business is really based on the on the backlist. Uh, so long term. So you, whenever we do the book, uh, also because it takes so much time and money and effort to do it, you we don't want the book just to be for one season or yeah. a year. So whenever we do a book, yes, we want it to be innovative. We want it to be something new. But also we always think, is this book in five years still relevant? So it's always this interesting balance between ahead of the time and timeless. That yeah. is the combination of the two. And how do you know that? Is this on gut instincts through yeah, doing, yeah doing I, I, time? I, I think that we are also very much plugged in the, all the different industries so I talk a lot with people in the food industry in the in the design industry in the architecture so you see when things are starting to bubbling up uh, you see what people are interested in but it's also we did all this series of book on brutalist architecture and we would just ahead of the time mm. when uh, people started to be 
to go from hating brutally Sarah Danger to absolutely loving yeah. it. But it was just that when we did the first book, people were still, oh, why you do a book about ugly architecture? Yeah. And then it completely exploded. You've been named Queen of Cookbooks by the Wall Street Journal of all places. I mean, yeah. that's incredible. How did that make you feel? Royal. <laughs> <laughs> What did you get? Did you get like a crown or something? No, no, no. It was actually it was actually very good because uh, uh, that was when I moved to New York. I moved to New York to set up uh, a new American office, uh, um, and I didn't know anybody. Uh, it was a little bit of a great mm. adventure. So yeah, okay. going with this title <laughs> was uh, was actually very good. It was a period uh, in which we actually have done a lot of incredible cookbook uh, that really changed the industry. So I was received very well. Wow. That's a big food culture there. Um, we worked on the India cookbook together. Amazing book. That, that was so fun because we did it from Sydney. Yeah. Um, and it, and it, uh, I just found this rice bag in an Indian uh, supermarket and that was inspiration but that sold incredibly well hasn't incredibly it? Well. Pushpesh Pan is the author is, yeah. uh, an Indian academic uh, and a great passion for food um, the book is still in print after 10 past year uh, is uh, an incredible cookbook about traditional Indian recipes and uh, and when we did family, it, family recipes, wasn't family it? recipes, yeah, yeah. family. Um, there are recipes that um, he collected throughout India in decades. Yeah, thousand recipes, wasn't it? Thousand recipes, and uh, and you designed a beautiful bag also yeah. for uh, for for the book. Yeah, it was. Um, it's bizarre because I I go you know go around the world to meet people, go into people's homes, and often I see one hanging on a doorknob or on a shelf. It's always so nice to see a book that you've worked on uh yeah 10 years ago my god yeah at least at least so how many is it sold over a hundred thousand wow yeah i yeah. should have got a royalty on that but <laughs> <laughs> he but did how, but how do you how do you know when a when a book is gonna uh, you know exceed that or or you I don't mean, what's the most books what's the most a book is sold like millions millions yeah uh we go from uh story of art who is uh, our still our best-selling really? art book is that for, is an academic book or what? yes it's an academic book by ernst gombrich who was one of our uh, founder well by the way fight on this year is 100 years old wow. so and that book uh, is a book it's interesting because it is an academic book meaning that is a book that uh, you use uh, in school and courses but because it's called the story of art not the history of art is a beautifully written account mm. of art. And uh, and this is a book that we have sold, I think, over six million copies. Wow. And it's still in print. Uh, we do every two years, we do a new edition that is just new design and new new images and so on. Wow. We did a paperback. And then another book who was incredibly successful is The Silver Spoon, who is an yep. Italian cookbook. That's a beautiful book. Yeah, designed by. I think everyone's got that book as Italo well. Italo Lupi, yeah, and um, yeah, it's uh, it's also there are like two thousand recipes, and it's a kind of a bible of Italian cuisine, and it was our first cookbook, and uh, it was uh, incredible successful. It was actually the the book that it was for one day, 
was number two on all Amazon book. That really? was extraordinary. Wow. You published three books um, with Massimo Batura. Yeah. Is that how you say his name? Yeah. Um, he's an amazing guy, renowned Italian chef. Yeah. And him, him and his wife, uh, Laura Gilmore, are behind the brilliant Refettorio Initiative, uh, yeah. feeding people who are struggling across the world uh, who can't afford a beautiful meal, a decent meal. And bizarrely, we, we actually worked with Oz Harvest in Sydney on, we designed the interior for the Sydney Refettorio. Uh, didn't meet him, but um, apparently it's, he's been there. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. It's, it's such it's, an incredible. I mean, those books are are beautiful as well. And yeah, just, we did. We actually did a book on the refettorio in Italy. That's called Bread is Gold. Yeah. And I think that in the initiative uh, of the refettorio is extraordinary, uh, on very different levels. Um, first of all, it's about uh, uh, feeding people who have difficulties. Is about uh, um, wasted food mm. so the refectorial works on donation yeah. from food that otherwise would have been uh, destroyed but i think that the most important thing is uh, to give people dignity through mm. food and hospitality mm -hmm. uh, the concept behind the refectorial for massimo it's uh, um, really welcoming people who are struggling in an environment full of beauty. The places are always designed by great designers. Uh, they have incredible, beautiful furniture. Uh, they have amazing, all donated, all donated yeah. amazing light. Uh, and, um, and people are served at the table. That is quite an yeah. interesting thing. Such uh, a contrast a soup to their, their life. And it's such a contest, but also it gives them back uh, the status of human being. Uh, some mm. of them have lost. Uh, and all of this uh, through food, uh, that is something that brings people together. It's, inc it's incredible. And it's incredible. We I, I go there quite often and see how it's all working. And it's uh, to see the joy. Well, then I guess initially the kind of the, the nervousness of people coming in, they feel, are they allowed to be there? Uh, as, because as they might be living on the street. Yes, and, you as know. Massimo says, it's always, the beginning is always very, they're all very nervous. Yeah. And then he said, after a few weeks, they all become food critics. <laughs> oh, 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 that's beautiful. That is beautiful. Could <laughs> they, do better. Yeah, they, they, they really are more confident and more, and they start to comment on the food and, and say, hmm. Yesterday was better. <laughs> oh my God, I, I I love we we do all Oz harvests. Where we did all their branding and everything, and I guess what I love is just seeing the volunteers for Oz Harvest and the yeah. Refectorio, um, who are just you can just see the joy in the people that are volunteering their time to either serve tables or cook, prepare food. There is one in London. They're doing it from the heart. Yeah, you know, it really comes from the heart, like you'd never experienced before. There is one a beautiful one in London that was designed by Ilse Crawford and in, in Elscourt. Uh, mm -hmm. And uh, it, it's such a beautiful space. Uh, and uh, the, the cooks and the volunteer there really has the passion to welcoming people. Yeah, it's wonderful. Every day for lunch. Can you tell us a bit about his latest, Massimo's latest book, Slow Food? And fast cars. Yeah, this is uh, a book about uh, his uh, um, 
bed and breakfast, let's say, kind of luxury bed and breakfast that he opened uh, uh, in the countryside in Modena. And um, it's a book that uh, um, has recipes, but are recipes that are quite uh, um, home cooked recipes. Mm -hmm. And it's mainly breakfast, uh, uh, brunch, uh, and lunch. And uh, again, it's about uh, it's about the hospitality. It's about uh, how you built a concept of hospitality around food, with beautiful images of the interiors, uh, of the food, uh, of the countryside, but also of the people. It's it's. I've I've actually cooked from that book. It's amazing. You've actually cooked from. I've that book. actually cooked from the book. I did some amazing white chocolate and sage muffins. Wow. I took it to a... Do you cook a lot? Yeah, a lot. Have you done all thousand recipes in the India cookbook? <laughs> no, but I did quite a few. Did you? Quite they a few. They turn out well? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, very well. Yeah. It's actually not that difficult. I've, I I cook, but I kind of tend to make the usual No, stuff, that's, that's it's why... It's actually quite interesting when you sit down and actually do prepare the meal and follow the instructions. It's yeah, not that, it's that's not that why, hard, is it? No, that's why I think that cookbooks are still very interesting. Yeah. Because, you know, if you want, if you know what you want to cook, you go on internet, you take the recipes, and you don't need the cookbooks. But the cookbooks are really good to learn, to inspire. So you look at uh, the India book, and then you find the recipes that you didn't even know it exists. So how many people do you reckon read these beautiful books let I, alone cook I from the learned, recipes uh, something that is I learned in this country because in my country that everybody reads happening. the whole book yeah no 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 that people read cookbooks they do they read them in bed they read wow. them in the morning they read them so really as uh, a learning about recipes about culture also very often our cookbooks so the recipes always have also a little bit of narrative explaining uh, where the recipe come from a little bit of cultural background uh, so it's quite a good reading and uh, and then it's very inspirational so you think about uh, you see a recipes and you really want to cook or you see a beautiful photo and you really want to do it yeah we also have very good indexes and that's why i'm becoming a little bit nerdy but indexes for me are yeah absolutely vital for this kind of books because we do indexes uh, by ingredients so you think about it so you you really are craving aubergine <laughs> and then you have all the recipes in which uh, aubergine appear wow. so it's very helpful that's very helpful um i'm just kind of wondering if is there a book that's like the technology of printing is is old i mean it's been around for a very long time um, it used to be high tech, didn't it, when it first came out printing? Do you think pe people are still, um, you know, developing and challenging that process and coming up with new ideas? Well, yes, I think that uh, the, the the printing uh, uh, technology is always evolving. Um, it's also uh, the paper making and binding and finding new material, more sustainable material. Um, 
so and and also what also has changed is uh, the 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 preparation of the files or mm. so all all that the technology is way way more uh, contemporary and more useful yeah. and 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 I still like the fact that we still print the same way as when we started 100 years ago yeah. Um, but you can improve uh, in in the process. Yeah. The Paul Arden series have been an incredible success, haven't yeah. they? Yeah. A simple idea, a Very little tiny. Simple. I don't know what form. A a what a five a. Even smaller. Um, I guess those are pr printed millions of those. Millions, as well. millions, and it's still still going. Nine dot nine pounds or whatever. Yeah, that's maybe now it's twelve. I don't oh, know. is it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, inflation, damn it! Yeah. Um, but those—it's incredible, isn't that? The, the 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 breadth of books that Fine produces is is phenomenal. Yeah, that's uh, that's the beauty of it, and that's also why I'm probably still there, because uh, um, if I were doing always only uh, recipe book or only monograph or only then then it becomes a little bit repetitive, yeah. and I think that. The fact that I'm working on architecture, design, food, uh, a little bit of fashion, a little bit of art, uh, um, but it's not. Uh, um, I, I have, I am inspired by different subject, and I bring my experience of the different subject uh, into new categories. The food one was quite interesting because uh, um, traditionally it's always been visual arts. So when we entered the the, the food category, which was already quite crowded, we actually bring our expertise as an art publisher. So our cookbooks follow exactly the same process as our art book yeah. in terms of uh, the quality of the paper, the quality of the design, quality of the printing. And especially for the chef book, we really introduced this idea of the chef as creative. And uh, the, the, the chef book, uh, you know, they have recipes, but the recipes only if you are a professional, mm -hmm. you can make it. But mm -hmm. they are there because it's the way to understand their food. It's the way to understand the flavor, it's the way to understand combination and, and so on. But... Um, the way in which they are presented uh, is is them, is their thinking, is their creativity, and and that's where we really brought something very different to to the to the industry. I would have thought, with all the experience you've had over the last twenty one years, that a book from you is, is due. <laughs> a book on books. Definitely not. No. No, I actually, um, I, I write very rarely and it's so painful um it's really a process that uh, i i i don't enjoy till the end and then when it's done i love it but it's really really painful and there's ghost writers get a ghost writer your emails <laughs> that are, was the fun your emails are always beautifully written <laughs> <laughs> well yeah nothing too painful but yeah i don't know just like you've got incredible knowledge and experience and that diversity would be I think it's it's it, it's, it's more says, passion. It says so much about. I always see it as not being just a book, but it's actually a, it's also branding. You know, it's actually for a lot of people. I guess I mean, what's the percentage of 
the number of people you do books with that it's their first book and then yeah. only only book yeah because that is that's like a summary of their life it's what they've done to date and it's kind of a it's what when they leave the world that's still there yeah um that is uh you know. it's that that is the for me the most interesting um part of the job is really when you shape a book uh, that doesn't exist uh, and that you know you could do it in millions of ways but really find the right structure the right uh, yeah. uh, way of doing i remember one of the book that i've recently done that was like an incredible process was the book with nike and this was a book that we initiated. So I just went almost cold to Nike and said, we should do a book. Wow. And uh, and for me, it was interesting to look at Nike as a design company. Yeah. And um, and then I started to go to the to the to the campus and to meet people. And the more I was going there, the more I was learning and in the incredible work that is behind every pair of shoes or and uh, the performance, uh, their, 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 the ethos of the athletes, uh, the idea that, uh, um, in fact, the book is called uh, Better is Temporary, uh, because they have this idea that uh, you always have uh, to better yourself. So if you are an athlete, you, you, you don't have always to, to beat the world record, but you have to go a little bit faster. Yeah, wow. And this what is a great something. Title. Yeah. And this is something that I think for me should be what design is about. You know, you do, if you do a new chair, he has to be a little bit better. Yeah. About something. It could be a material, it could be about uh, waste, it could be about comfort, it could yeah. be anything, but you cannot do something that is not as good as something that already exists. So you have to be a little bit better. Is the founder's name Phil Green? No. What's the founder of Nike's name? Phil Knight. Phil Knight, yeah. I don't know about Green. Phil Did you meet him? No. No, he's now very he's not he's not there. I mean, he's part of the of the board, I think, but uh, he's not uh, public anymore. Mm. So, but I met a lot of uh, I met Mark Parker, the former CEO and uh, John Hook, uh, who's the creative uh, director. Wow. And, uh, that must have been an incredible experience. Incredible experience. Incredible experience. And the book is really, really nice. Yeah, I bet it's doing well. Yeah, it does. <laughs> In a world where everything is digital um, as well, and I, I find with digital, you know, the communication is, is so hard. I mean, we're bombarded by it from Instagram, you know, emails, you know, like everywhere. There's live data from all around the world and that kind of I guess for me it feels like I'm the creator of the content that I receive but I'm, I'm dubious of how that content has been created in the first place where I, I know the effort that goes into in making a newspaper or goes into making a book I know that there I trust that information there's something in terms of trust as well in terms of publishing versus digital because it can be so easy yeah. manipulated it feels very kind of temporary it feels like i don't know you know you don't tend it to think very long can, form yeah. also you can you can delete it continue it, to edit it afterwards yeah you cannot yeah. Delete it's live i guess yeah do you see that there's a trend i mean there was a time when everybody was saying that it was the end of print and it clearly isn't 
do you see a sales continue to increase over, over yeah i years? think i think that in in the last 20 years i think i have changed the way in which i make books so i remember at the beginning for example we were doing this series of book with friends of piano with richard rogers every three years we were coming up with a new volume uh, that will continue and we're just displaying their architecture and it was a way for them really to make people know their work mm. and now it's done with beautiful website yeah so i think that that kind of publishing is over um because uh, in that case uh, the digital is better Meaning that uh, you can add things, uh, you can aid it, and at the end uh, is just showing something. And I think that now books, especially monograph, are much more interesting because they have they need to have a very strong point of view. They need to have a very strong editing. They need to have a narrative in uh, the display of the images. So it becomes, uh, as, as an editor, as a publisher, you become much more involved uh, mm -hmm. in, uh, in, the, in the storytelling. At the end of the day, it's all about telling stories. Yeah. And, and that's what the book are about. And it doesn't really matter if they are about a certain period. They can be a capsule, but in 10 years, you can go back and look at it and still being very much inspired. Self-publishing. I guess it's become like prolific, isn't it? A lot of people making their own books and magazines. Yeah. Some so people love that. Um, there's other people that come to me and say, no, they want to be published. They want that imprint. They want that stamp of approval. Yeah. That they, I, they deserve to be, do you know what I mean? Like, I, I, imagine, I, imagine having a fine book, having a book that's, I, that's published by fine be quite incredible for someone's career. I believe in professionals in any field. So I would not like to have someone make an operation on me who is not a very good surgeon. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Or a self-taught surgeon. A self-taught surgeon. Yeah. Or and I think it's something that is happening. I really would like a professional in politics. I don't want people who just yeah. wake up in the morning and decided that they can they can run a country. Of course, you can do you can do anything. You can publish your book, but I think that uh, this is an industry that uh, um, has a lot of knowledge, and the knowledge is uh, from uh, the first ideas to the great graphic designer to the people who do indexes who are professional. Um, to the marketing and promotion because you could do the most beautiful and interesting books in the world but if you don't make sure that he get to the right people yeah. is dead yeah so it's there are a lot of steps for me the book uh, it's done not when it's printed but when it's in the hand of the readers very good so that's what you do. I mean, you have to accompany it, yeah. and uh, and um, and that's that's our role. So the role of publisher is not only. Uh, very often, I talk with people, and I have to say, look, we are publisher. We are not printers. Mm -hmm. That's a very different, yeah, very different, a very different role. How do you think AI will affect publishing? Or I guess you're already utilizing it in a lot of uh, ways. I don't know. I I'm not particularly scared 
about AI. I think that somehow we should embrace technology. So I was coming here with my Google map. I'm not using an A to Z no. street. Uh, well, that uh, would look silly. I don't think anybody is. I know. So I, I wonder. Especially if you're on a bicycle. Are you on a, were you on a bike? <laughs> no. <laughs> That's why I think that... I think that creative people are really scared about it, but then if uh, there are more mundane tasks, then it's okay. And I don't really understand why. I think that AI can substitute a very mediocre writer, but then who cares about mediocre writers? Yeah. I think that when you write a text, uh, the Sorry, beauty- Sorry, mediocre writers yeah. out there. <laughs> <laughs> the beauty of it is, you know, the, the, the connection, the unexpected connection, uh, the knowledge behind it, the flow of the text. And I don't know if AI can do it um, because they are mainly based on existing content. Yeah. So, but I mean, having an AI that check all my books that if there are mistakes, that could be nice. Yeah, and fine tuning it. Um, what about- Do you think AI can design a book? I think so. Better? It can write a book. Yeah, but better than a... Well, let's have a go. <laughs> What's better? Um, but th that's exactly what you said. It's like getting it to the hands. Success is getting it to the hands of the consumer. Yeah. AI can help understand that consumer deeper and what their needs are, what resonates with them, what li they like. I mean, we use our intuition and we know kind of what we know yeah, the same is for, for digital. So we use uh, digital content uh, to promote the book. Uh, we sell our book uh, uh, online. Uh, so all that thing are extremely important. I mean, uh, you, you have to, you have really to make sure that people know about the book. But then I, I still see the people in the bookshop really touching the book yeah. and really opening it and feeling the paper. And yeah, yeah. Well, that's actually really interesting because it's, it's, when I come back to London, um, which is getting more and more frequently, I go into the bookshops and the bookshops are heaving with people. Yeah. Like back in Australia, they're kind of like not so many people really? in bookshops. Um, and that's very much part of our, I guess, culture here. And I think it's more, these people are kind of looking exploring yep. and stumbling across something that and, and excites also, them. There are still, uh, still a bookshop in which uh, you ask uh, for an advice. Uh, you, you have uh, the people who knows the books and yeah. they can tell you, especially, I mean, I, I do it for example, for, for fiction or if I want like a new book, I don't know what to, to read. I go and I ask and I tell them what I've read and what I've liked uh, and, yeah. and so on. So there is uh, this. Uh, and then, of course, just looking on a table at all the books is just uh, and, and sometimes you just you are attracted by a cover. You don't know why you just are. Well, let's explore that. What you say you don't know why. I mean, there's a lot of science that goes into or a lot of care and focus in kind of creating the ultimate cover for a book or certainly when I do a cover or do a book, I want it to be the cover to stand out, to do justice to kind of to the, to the content and attract people to it. Like what have you learned over the years of, um, you know, that kind of form of, um, what is it, manipulation in a way? 
Well, I think that uh, um, th it needs some clarity. So sometimes uh, um, I, I look at the cover and I don't know what I'm looking at. Uh, my eyes are going uh, from the title to the image, uh, to the branding, to the color, to, so that there is not, somehow a cover should uh, build up your knowledge of the book. So your eyes should be attracted by, first by one thing, it could be like a big title or a big image or a striking color or a strange binding. So something that, and then you started to look at other elements of, of the cover instead of having something that really punch you, but at the end you don't know what you are looking at. Yeah. And on the other hand, I think it could also intrigue you and trigger your curiosity. So um, for me, it's always interesting if I see a cover and then the first things I do, I turn the book to see if there is a blurb, to see if there is something more. And if there isn't a blurb, then I open the book. So yeah. if I open the book, uh, that means that the covers have, have worked. Okay. It's interesting. I always, whenever doing doing a book, I think I've done maybe 60 of them by now, I always start, I always do the cover first. Yeah. Um, some people will do it last. What's, yeah. what's your approach? Um, I also very interesting because I, I work with very different uh, graphic designers and uh, there are some graphic designers that if they don't have the absolutely final title, they cannot work on the book. Right. And there are others in which uh, the title is like a piece of typography and can mm, be adapted. Not so reliant on the cover yeah. design. I think that starting from the cover, it's the best way because uh, it's like the concept that is best of yeah. the book. That's so, ultimately what you see. Yeah. The first the consumer yeah. sees the cover. But you cannot do the cover if you don't know what the content no, is. You, of have, course. To you have to immerse yourself in the You have to immerse in the concept, yeah. in the content, and then doing the cover. Mm. But yeah, the cover is... Uh, and what's the... And the spine. Spine, Talking yeah. about the spine. Yeah. I mean, uh, how many lifestyle magazines do you see a Fiden book sitting on a coffee table on a bookshelf? I still do it. It was actually very interesting. Do you go and position those? Do you go talk to no, photographers? No, I, I actually <laughs> thought about you the other day because oh. I was watching a, like a crime... Uh, um, BBC program uh, that's called Shetland and uh, I was like watching and not watching you know when you're just there and you're just doing something else and and then there was this hopefully you were reading a scene, book at the same time no no there was oh. this scene in a kitchen and the India oh, <laughs> was there bad. and because it has like the white spine yeah. with the big India and it was just they stopped they were talking, so it was just there. And because I was on a BBC play, I actually stopped. Did you? <laughs> just to see, I said, yes, it was. Yeah, well done. Yeah. I do, I do this very often in, <laughs> on TV and uh, uh, magazine, wherever there is uh, a library or a shelf or something, I always look for Fido books. It's, it's so cool, that, isn't it? It's just seeing a book, seeing something that was not even didn't exist which is a concept in the beginning to see it living and people interacting in the real world with it 
later and on. And I think that so the cool. TV for me is very interesting because uh, it's the props uh, in a TV show, they're really meant to say something yeah. about. So in this case, it was like this modern kitchen or whatever. Yeah. So the people are, were very... International. International, and, but they cook. Yeah. Um, what's your favorite... Did I already ask you that before? What's your favorite book in the whole wide world, whether it's Fiden or not Fiden? Oh, I don't. I don't. I don't have. I don't have a favorite. Damn. I, yeah. No. I gave you time to think about that. No, there are so many books for me are really that they, they are very much related to memories. Uh, to you know, that's why I. Sometimes I have to admit I buy um, digital books uh, like ebooks uh, because yeah. they are very um, useful. So if I'm traveling, I have like four or five books on my iPad. But then, if I really love the books, even if I read it uh, on my iPad, I buy it mm. because uh, um, for me is when I have my books uh, in, on my shelves, each of those spine triggered memories yeah that not really on my ipad <laughs> a moment in time it's a moment in time like music. so so for me they're very they're, they're a moment and i perfectly then remember my state of mind when when wow. i read it what did trigger the, the the inspiration that i had and so on so i i it's like your children you don't have a favorite one well they they want me to I tell them each one that they're my favorite. Exactly. What What do you get up to when you're not working? Ah, uh, reading. Yeah. A lot. Uh, movies. I love to go to to the movie theater. Yeah. I I don't have any subscription to any of the TV things. I think that the the going to the movie it's uh, it's a beautiful thing. Yeah. And uh, horse riding. Oh, really? Where did you do that? <laughs> Lee Valley. Ah, and then, to go there. and then I go on holidays and things. Uh, equestrian, what is it, English or Western? English, English. Yeah, I can't imagine you. I'm not very good at it. No? No. But I love it. They can be quite scary horses. Yeah. And a, beautiful. I course. had a couple of, I had a bad fall in February. Oh, Jesus. You okay? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Now, yes. Last time I saw you cycle, do you cycle as Always. Well? No, always. Not today because usually I actually go. We our offices are in Stratford, and I cycle there. Yeah, they used um, to be in Kings Cross. Yeah, it's interesting how so many people are. We talked about this yesterday with Peter Murray, who I interviewed. He's an amazing guy. He cycles everywhere, um, and I think there's like ten miles a day or something. And how London has become such a cyclable city. It is. It's incredible. It is, and I think that is safer. Yeah. Um, less pollution. Less pollution. Uh, people are also people. more careful with cyclists. Uh, to go to Stratford, I actually go through the parks, uh, so it's also very nice. Mm. And uh, yeah, it's it's it's. So that's good, good for your well-being. It is. It is. It's also. Um, I think that it clear your mind. 
before. I never would have thought 20 years ago that I'd say that because like London was and people getting killed right oh, yeah. centered here. It yeah. was such an aggressive city. Yeah, it is. It is. But also, on the street. But. I also think that they did a very good job with bicycle lane yeah. because a lot of the bicycle lane have shoulders, so they are very separate. Yeah. And uh, I think that there is a new a new culture. I think that, I think that most of those were built during the pandemic. Yeah. And then when people went back, uh, they were like, oh, that's a new culture. And there are a lot of people cycling. A lot of. What are you working on now that you can talk about? Um, let me see. Uh, <laughs> going into the archive. Going into the archive. <laughs> uh, well, no, I've just published a book on uh, on um, with Massimo. We have just published a book that was very interesting for me because it was not one of my subject on video games. Mm-hmm. And it's a book that looks at video games uh, uh, historically, um, but mm, with an eye on the, the design side of it. Uh, but then it's organized alphabetically, so they are very interesting pairing. Oh, interesting. Um, and that uh, was uh, it was very very interesting to to work on. And uh, for the next season, I've just finished. Uh, um, I'm doing a book that is very interesting on one chair. This was a chair by David Rowland, uh, who was an American uh, uh, product design, who invented this chair that is called 44, because you can stack 40 chair. Wow. And then transport that. If you see it, you will recognize the chair okay. because it's everywhere in every university, in every conference room. And then you can stack them. But when you stack them, they have this amazing frame. It's an aluminum. Oh, yeah, I know the one. And it kind of stacks. Is and it, it stacks, uh, yeah. And yeah. Uh, and he tried to sell the chair to Herman Miller, to Noel, to everybody, and nobody wanted it. And then he decided to to do himself because he really believed. Uh, <laughs> yes, he really yeah. believed uh, that it was a great idea, and he was right. So it was wow. this really um, going into believing in what you do, and uh, that sounds like the Dyson story too. Yeah, it's very like similar, that. but it's, it's still he then did a few other things that we are showing in the book, but is practically uh, his career is about one chair. That amazing. It is amazing. And then we are the doing best a, hit, he, the only chair that yeah. was a massive success. Yeah, massive. Still, still, still. And has he done anything since? No, he wow. did. He did a couple of other things, but. No, really. That's like having a number one hit and never be able to do it again. Exactly. exactly. And then uh, we are doing a very nice book about contemporary product designers. So a kind of survey of 100 uh, product designers all over the world that really show the the state of uh, product design as very different from what it was 10 years is, ago. Is David Kayon in that? No. Australian designer used to work for Martin Newsom. Oh uh, no, there are actually three Australian Australian Is designer. There? Yeah, I don't remember the name. Oh, I nice. can tell you. Yeah. Um, cool. Um, have you designed your life? Do you think? Yes. Have you? Every day. Really? Yeah. I think I see that it's an interesting. It's an interesting idea, and uh, uh, I did a book uh, a couple of years ago with Bruce Mao. 
yeah, yeah. Uh, it's called MC24. Yeah. And it's uh, 24, It's he call it a toolbox. So he gives you 24 tools. And uh, his idea is that design is much more than a pretty chair. Yeah. And it's it's an attitude. So you do design your life. You do design your day. You do design yeah. everything. So it's not having a pen or a pencil. It's really... I think it's interesting uh, um, in, 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 in Italian, we say progettare, that is really planning. Mm. And I think that design is about planning. Absolutely. And, um, that's the definition of design. That's the definition of design. So everybody, you don't know, but everybody design their life every day because they make decision and they plan things. Yeah. So having the tools to do it better, yeah. it's a great thing. That's why I think that design is much bigger than just pretty chair. Yeah. Well, I, I published my book 2014 with Penguin mm -hmm. uh, Lantern in London and Design Your Life, and that was absolutely, mm -hmm. I think I had 12 principles. But it's just kind of that moment where you go, hang on a minute. It, design isn't just for doing products or, you know, being a, uh, I guess, supplier to other people's problems, but actually tr you focus on your own uh, life and you can actually design a better life intentionally as opposed to just letting it happen to you. Exactly. It's you know, this it can idea be your health, can be relationships, can be what you eat, what you drink, what you don't drink, um, setting goals. Um, it's amazing when it starts to make a difference. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes it's also good to let things happen. That's true. The knock-on effect or just things that might come in and, and deal with that um, and let that take you on kind of an unexpected journey. Yeah. Be curious. So... Um, it's been wonderful having you on the podcast. It was very fun. Yeah, it's been so nice. I'm, I'm so thankful that we actually got together face to face. It's, it's just so cool to see you. Well, Amelia, thank you again. Thank you. Thanks for listening in to today's episode of Design Your Life with Fired and Press Associate Publisher, Amelia Taragni. Tune in the next episode where I catch up with my old boss and legendary British designer and partner at Pentagram London, John Rushworth. Thanks for listening to this episode of Design Your Life. If you'd like to find out more about how you can design your life, head to the website at designyourlife.com.au. If you found this episode inspiring, please don't forget to review and subscribe. If you have any ideas or like to get in touch, we would love to hear from you. Send us an email at hello at frostcollective.com.au.